from all I can tell, they were really built for serious winters, which my original plan, quote unquote, plan (laughs) when I bought it was like, oh, I'll go to Southern California or, you know, somewhere warm. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 244 with Sarah Bronstein. My guest, Sarah, is an experienced interior designer who specializes in small spaces. In this conversation, we'll talk about her own transition to living tiny. She actually lives in an Airstream-style tiny house, which is really looks really cool. And then we also talk about the challenges of interior design in small spaces and how you can approach the design for, for your tiny house. Sarah also shares her favorite interior design products for small spaces. I hope you stick around. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And if you do, I hope you'll leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with any friends, family, or colleagues via social media or however you want to share it if you think that they could learn from this conversation as well. Also, if you're listening and you don't follow the show, make sure to hit that follow button in Spotify, in Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, so you get a fresh episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast delivered to you every single Friday. Uh, I publish episodes on Friday mornings usually, so you wake up and the new episode is there for you. And if you want to hear from me even more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash newsletter where you can sign up for the weekly Tiny Tuesdays newsletter. This is a roundup of Tiny House news, uh, summaries of the new podcast episode and more uh, written by me every Tuesday. All right, let's get on with the show. Sarah Bronstein. Sarah is an experienced interior designer specializing in small spaces. Through her business, Suka Interior Design, she helps people create happy homes that are not only beautiful, but will bring positive change in their daily existence and overall well-being. After 10 years in the interior design industry while living in tiny studios in cities like New York City and San Francisco, she found herself most drawn to the unique challenges of small spaces and tiny homes which allow her to combine her love of design with her passion for sustainable living. In 2020, she finally achieved her years-long dream of designing and living in her own tiny home when she purchased and renovated a 1973 Avion Legrand travel trailer. She's been living in her tiny dream home with her dog, Albus, for a year now and loving every second. Sarah Bronstein, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, your, Your tiny house... Looks amazing. I, I I love it. Can you tell me a little bit about um what the process was like of you know finding it and then and then renovating it? Yeah. So finding it was its own challenge and took a really long time of kind of constantly perusing Craigslist and marketplace. And I was pretty pretty sure I wanted, you know, a silver bullet 
mm-hmm. of whether that be an Airstream or Spartan or Avion. Okay. But at the time I was looking, which was kind of right in the midst of the pandemic, I guess this was the winter of 2020, 2021. Everyone was kind of into travel trailers and certainly the vintage ones. I had kind of come to a point where I was like, okay, your first one might not, you might not get that because they're just mm-hmm. so expensive. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was a lot of just kind of luck. I had uh, lined up somewhere. I was currently at that time in Portland, Oregon, getting ready to come back to North Carolina where I grew up and had a friend with land and had kind of figured out where I was going to do this project and Mm -hmm. had assumed I would just look for something when I got to the East Coast. But with a U-Haul screw-over situation at the last minute, I, I started looking again and the stars just sort of aligned. I found my current home on Craigslist and Mm -hmm. had it inspected and didn't know a whole lot about what to look for. So (laughs) definitely got my money's worth getting a professional to just like make sure it wasn't, you know, more than I thought it was going to be. And it was in mostly original 1973 condition. Wow. Working condition. But yeah, I had only had one previous owner and yeah, just I I could see the vision as soon as I went inside, even though it wasn't, you know, what it is now. And I think I just felt that kind of like gut check, like, yep, okay, this is it. Nice. And then I figured out how to, yeah, (laughs) tow a 28 foot trailer, having never done that in my life and towed it across the country and, and got to work on it soon after. Wow, good for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in 1973, that's that's coming up on 50 years old. Um, you know, what what kinds of things did you have to do? You know, was there anything structurally that you had to do to it? I, before we start talking about like the actual renovations. But like, yeah, yeah, I got pretty lucky. And part of what I, I was looking for was like, is there structural damage? How mm-hmm. how much am I going to have to undo before I can kind of rebuild? And yeah, everything structurally was in really good shape. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there were things that I guess we'll get to that (laughs) needed upgrading for sure. But yeah, all in all for the shell of it was in really good shape. It still had like an intact belly pan, which (laughs) if you know, you know. Um, But yeah, just for, for, for its age was in really good shape, which I'm, I'm learn more and more as I talk to more and more people living in newer RVs and trailers that they don't build them like this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, got lucky in that, that regard. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And so what, in terms of the inside, did you keep the general layout of, of the trailer or did you like rip it down to the, to the studs and, and kind of redo it? Yeah, so I didn't rip it down to the studs. Largely the the layout was what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Lots of it had lots of storage. So I pretty much took everything, you know, cabinet fronts off, took out the flooring. There were places of the subfloor that we we redid where there had been like, you know, water damage over the years and whatnot. The bathroom was probably the biggest gut job you know we ripped out 
countertops and all of that. Um, all the appliances were original, so those all came out. But the bathroom had, I call it a bathtub, but, you know, a mini size kind of trough looking thing, but it was a real fiberglass like tub material. That was probably the hardest thing to to get out because we had to end up cutting it into pieces because it wouldn't come out as one piece. Oh, wow. It was really in there. <laughs> so I um, had envisioned this wet room kind of bathroom with tile everywhere, which I had to tone down as I <laughs> started balancing, learning about being mobile with like, you know, having been in design for a long time. It's like, yeah, let's tile the walls and everything. <laughs> and um, Having to start thinking about weight and yeah, how things will move. So a good friend who helped me with some of the electrical and plumbing talked me into just doing the floor, which I think was a really wise <laughs> decision for the tile. Yeah. But it still has that kind of wet room feel. We removed the whole tub and dropped the pipes. So there's just a little step in kind of over that pipe into the shower area. But the floor is all tiled, so continuous into the tub. Mm -hmm. I kept the, the cabinet and toilet configuration in there. Okay. Again, largely, it was just well laid out when they built it. So um, there wasn't a whole lot of reason to to do that. But, you know, went in and refinished the insides of all the cabinets and then, of course, built new cabinet fronts. There were some things that weighed a whole lot that didn't make sense. Like the bathroom door feels like on par with my parents' front door to their house. Like it just weighed a ton. Really interesting. Yeah since it was just me here, you know, a couple might feel differently about needing that intense barrier for the bathroom. But, you know, I was <laughs> yeah. like, okay, I'd rather have the weight go to something else. Yep. So took that out. But yeah, largely kept most of the layout. And yeah, just redid appliances, floors, countertops, and all of that. Cool. And, and, how how much insulation did you add insulation or was it already fairly insulated so from what i've read this is one of the original avions i think at some point in the early 80s it was sold to fleetwood and they did mm -hmm. keep making them under that name they kept the avion name but this was an original avion which was built in lansing michigan mm -hmm. and from all i can tell they were really built for serious winters wow which my original plan, which I, you know, quote unquote plan <laughs> when I bought it was like, oh, I'll go to Southern California or, you know, somewhere warm, which has yet to happen. Mm -hmm. But this is the first and I will also say I have not yet the original furnace is in there and has like some serious ductwork um, that runs you know, to the front room underneath the refrigerator. It has a little opening underneath the bed to kind of keep that area and one that goes into the bathroom. Yep. And they ran it right near the fresh water tank under the bed. Um, so in theory, if that worked, <laughs> it would heat everything. I've been getting away with just, I'm in North Carolina. So typically winters have been mild. This uh, last week has been uh, <laughs> a challenge, Dilly. but it's held up pretty well. Um, guys, I've just been using, you know, space heaters as needed. Haven't gotten to the furnace. I'm still like working through some 
emotional fears of propane and <laughs> all of yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I think at some point, if that worked, I feel like you could really be in a serious winter and, and probably be pretty okay. Then I haven't seen a whole lot of condensation, which I've read on a lot of the you know forums, like is a huge issue for people in the winters with space heaters. Yeah. So I feel like it was pretty well insulated. I haven't, you know, gotten into the walls and checked, but just judging by how it's kept the heat, it was, it went down to about seven degrees here in the last week. And it's been, you know, the heaters kept it within the fifties and sixties the whole time. So nice. Yeah. I think I (laughs) got lucky and it was well insulated when they built it. So you mentioned like when you were, you know, thinking about doing this, you know, you, you thought you might go to Southern California and kind of chase the sunshine. How, how nomadic have you been? And and is it less or more than you were expecting? So I would say maybe a little less. Part of that being, I've really liked the places I've kind of ended up. Uh, And also I think just realizing how, laborious the packing and unpacking and hooking up process is yeah it really is yeah especially like on your own it's a lot so um i'm not i definitely uh, kudos to the people that move around like every couple days because go you but i'm like (laughs) no (laughs) like if i'm gonna pack and unpack it's gonna i'm gonna get a little bit out of it yeah yeah so i spent the summer in the mountains of north carolina which was incredible and had planned to kind of move around into the winter, but I ended up just staying in the mountains at a couple different places, all of which had hookups. I have not really boondocked, although it is set up to do that. And I did keep that in mind as I made decisions, renovating it, thinking about if I want, if I decide to sell it, like is the next person going to want that capability? So you know, I upgraded the water heater and got one that is a propane electric dual. Nice. So like you could, yeah, you could run it off the propane if you wanted to boondock. Um, but I've always so far just stayed at sites or friends places that have, you know, the 30 amp hookup, uh, maybe not sewer hookup so much, but we've made that work too. Nice. Yeah. I, it's still every time I move, it's like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm towing this yeah. giant thing. Like still got the butterflies and all that. And then once I'm on the road, I'm like, you got this, you've done this. But especially the first time since I renovated it, I think moving moving it across the country, as scary as that was, I hadn't put any anything, money or time into it yet. So it was also kind of like, okay, if stuff moves around or whatever less attached. (laughs) Whereas once I renovated it, we took it soon after the work was done, took about eight months in total. We just took it for a quick weekend trip just to like test everything out and enjoy it. And I was like, oh my God, what if stuff moves? And (laughs) that felt um, a lot scarier, but I think that's just part of, part of the life. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Did did your, you know, did doing this kind of correspond with any changes like professionally? Absolutely. I think I had already at that point over the pandemic, I started my own company mm-hmm. 
you know, doing what I had been doing before, but just to have a outlet to do it on my own. Um, and I wanted, I knew kind of from the get go, this was what I was interested in and what I wanted to do. But I think, cause I hadn't actually, it wasn't technically living in a mobile tiny home and I hadn't actually gotten my hands on one. I'd advised on a few just from, you know, my design background, but I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome and was kind of like, okay, I can't niche into that yet. So it felt like a very aligned decision in where I was, the reasons I personally wanted to pursue this. And it worked out timing wise that it supported kind of my confidence on a professional level to like, okay, now I've done one. Now I, I know a lot about how to think about weight distribution and, and all these things you don't have to think about um, if it's not, um, if it's a stationary, um, even in a tiny space, if it's not moving, it's a whole different, different thought process. Totally. So yeah, it, it definitely aligned with what I wanted to do professionally. You know, the timing, I think just all kind of came together when it was meant to happen. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well let's let's talk into your interior design for small spaces. I I love that you've kind of specialized a bit in that. Um you know, what kind of what kind of projects have you worked on and and you know, what are some of the unique challenges of of small spaces from an interior design perspective? Yeah, so I worked for a corporate company for a long mm-hmm. time that manage short-term rentals. So a lot of Airbnbs. And I actually think that's a really exciting overlap into the tiny house definitely world where a lot of people are are either looking at ADUs for long-term rentals or family and or as income properties. Yeah. And I think, you know, I I think this is true for all size homes. I think that the issues just tend to be more exacerbated in smaller spaces because the solutions are a lot more limited Yeah, when you're limited on space. But I think really understanding what the space is going to be used for and for whom is super important. So knowing it's going to be a short-term rental, you know, you may not need as much storage, say, because people aren't living in it full time knowing whether it's going to move or not is a big one. <laughs> one I would say is worth uh, figuring out before building on the inside for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a stationary unit that you're kind of looking to rent out for like an Airbnb, I really like open shelving mm-hmm. as a guest in a home. It's really easy. So you don't have to kind of go rifling through all the cabinets to find the water glass or whatever. Yep. Whereas as much as I love that, and I see it in some Airstream renos, but if you're moving around, it's not, the, in my opinion, the best use of the space. It's just more for you to have to pack up when you move. Probably going to have more things fall off and <laughs> stuff like that to deal with. And I think, you know, it's just a lot about spaces being multifunctional. So understanding, going back to like who's, who's using that space and for what understanding who's going to be there, you know, even in my space, I work full time out of the trailer. So a good, you break it down, a good 20% of the interior is my desk in the front. And for someone who doesn't do that, I would 
100% say there's a much better use for that. <laughs> um, that square footage that probably makes more sense for for how you work or don't work. And I think understanding that is really a big key. And definitely in tiny houses that people I've I've worked with, that's usually a lot of what the beginning of the process looks like. It's like, okay, what are your needs? What are your wants? And even within those needs, what are like the deal breakers? Because you may not get everything or at least exactly how you're envisioning it. So I think, you know, especially if it's more than one person living in this space, understanding the function of both people, worked with a couple people that are doing it with kids and that's a whole different ball game, <laughs> um, especially with like storage and stuff like that. I think it brings, brings up a lot of different issues. Certainly as a single gal, I think designing for myself, I can see that <laughs> even without being pretty in tune with what you know, how to convert my needs into a design that works to support that. Mm -hmm. My needs and kind of storage needs and all of that are a whole lot less than when you start looking at families or even couples. So I think being really clear on that and getting a real grasp on that is kind of the first step. And really, ultimately, I think is what makes it's a successful experience for someone to live in a space like this because it is it's challenging i think storage is probably the biggest one of the biggest things that comes up for people um like how to downsize how to fit things where um I was pretty shocked when I moved into my, I still have a couple shelves that are empty, <laughs> surprisingly, because I didn't feel like <laughs> I did that good a job of downsizing. But um, I should also say I had been living in, as you mentioned in the intro, like in, in pretty small studio apartments already. So I didn't have, I wasn't coming from a few thousand square feet by any means. Right. But that's definitely something I work with people on too, is kind of like how to go through that. Some people start with storage units. Yeah. I I like to do a, a little game where you, like, you can put some stuff away and like I'll put it in the trunk to take it to Goodwill, but I'll wait <laughs> you know, yeah. a few months. Yeah. And if I don't take anything out of there, I clearly am not missing it. So you're just like, don't open it. Just get rid of it. And if just you do take something it. out, it, you use it or you, you thought of it. So that's okay. Yeah. You should keep it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge I think throughout that I see that, you know, we just have to get more creative in smaller spaces, you know, whether that's under bed, how, how things are actually stored. Can we roll clothes instead of folding them? So they're not taking up so much space. Yeah. All of those kinds of things. Yeah. Are there any, um, are there any companies or specific products that you kind of return to in your design work or that you recommend to clients like kind of over and over again for small spaces? Yeah. So I, if you can find them elsewhere, do it because uh -huh. it's a costly uh, store, but the container store, <laughs> uh -huh. I was actually living in an apartment when I bought these, they're just like clear stackable drawers and they come mm -hmm. in different sizes. I, to this day, I used it because I had a pretty big 
like sliding door closet and then didn't want to have a dresser or something. Yeah. So I just got those and I have them in my closet here and they've just kind of moved from closet to closet. Yeah. I really like them. So I, I definitely recommend those. They're stackable. I think you could probably, they'd be easy enough to secure. Yeah. I just have a hook at the bottom and top of the closet. And so I just take, um, stretchy cord oh, like a bungee cord <laughs> yes yeah. thank you no, no <laughs> problem. um i just take one of those and it hooks in front so it catches the if it were to tip it would just kind of bounce it back in place uh-huh that's worked fine moving it through the mountains and i actually did the same thing when i moved it across the country so that's nice a pretty affordable yeah if you don't have woodworking skills and you know a lot of folks do want to kind of put the time into kind of putting an actual closet space together, which is totally cool. I was trying to balance, you know, my budget where I wanted to kind of go luxe and I didn't want to put it into the closet Yeah, (laughs) at that that point. And so far it's worked out. So yeah, I think that's a really good, a really good product and they have all different sizes and yeah, it's easy and kind of small enough that they can fit in most places. I like I like all your your cabinet doors. Um, can you talk about how how you built those? Yeah, so it's very trendy right now, but I had already been pretty um, heart set on the caned webbing inlay. Uh huh. And they are <laughs> definitely not perfect. I don't personally haven't done woodworking before this, but I did build, build these by hand, and. If I were to do this project again, I'm prob- I would probably pay someone to do them, <laughs> at least initially, because they're they're not perfect. I, I thought a rectangle would be like super easy, but um, not so Sometimes much. Sometimes it's the hardest. <laughs> no, so hard. Yeah, you know they're good enough, and they they work. Yeah. So yeah, I really like the look of the cane webbing. Mm-hmm. It brings a lot of texture and warmth. So I liked that, but moreover, they also allow air into all of the cabinets so it doesn't get musty. And as I've realized in the last few weeks, having my first like serious winter, you don't have to worry so much about like leaving the cabinet doors open for heat to get to the pipes. It just allows a lot of that airflow to get through. So it's, um, and it's also lightweight. When I purchased this, all the cabinet fronts were hardwood so just having building out frames and having the inlay, the cane webbing on the inlay cut down some some weight as well. Mm-hmm. So what um, do you know what your total weight is for the tiny house at this point? I don't. I'm guessing I kind of kept track of what was coming out and in. Uh-huh. And I know my trailer, I might truck's tow capacity i think is like seven or eight thousand and i've never had issues so i think i'm somewhere i would guess between six and seven okay which i think is probably what somewhere close to what we started with yeah that's that's awesome for for a 28 foot tiny house to be that that lightweight yeah i could be on the higher end of that now but i feel i've you know, once I put all my stuff in, I, I definitely was like, okay, let's see how the truck, <laughs> yeah. how it feels now pulling it. And if it didn't feel different. So I think, I think in that regard, it's come out pretty, pretty even to what it was. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, you know, that's also something I definitely put a lot of thought into as I chose things and, yeah, you know, toned down my tile vision and, <laughs> and all of that. I'm just trying yeah. to be pretty yeah. conscious of, of the weight of where, where in the trailer that weight was going. What do you, what do you tend to tow it with? Or what have you towed it with? Yeah, so I've only towed it with a truck I bought also like two weeks before I moved. Nice. Uh, so all this came together really, really uh, last minute. But I got, um, it's a 2018 Ford F-150. Nice. And it does have the like, it was, I bought it used, but it does have the tow package on it. So there's some fancy things that I haven't used yet. Like, um... It has a little knob that so you don't have to move the wheel. It like oh. actually turns what you're towing. Yeah, which I haven't because it was so counterintuitive to learn how to do it with the wheel. <laughs> now I'm like, wait, <laughs> now I just know how to do it that way. Sort of. Uh-huh. But yeah, it, it was made for for towing that I knew at that yeah. point, even though I hadn't bought the trailer yet, I mm-hmm. knew that that was kind of what I was looking at something in the 25 to 30 feet ish realm. So when I went to the dealership, I was like, it needs to have a pretty serious tow capacity. Yeah. And yeah, I've been really happy with, with the truck so far. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. And it's great to own, you know, not a lot of people end up owning a tow vehicle for their, especially like traditional tiny houses on wheels because they're so heavy, you know, a 28 foot, you'd need it it would be over 10,000 pounds and you'd need like a really 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 giant truck um so what a what an awesome thing to be able to buy you know an F150 which is like a common truck <laughs> and be able to tow your home totally that's actually yeah. um i was i've thought about living tiny pretty seriously for about 4 or 5 years before i actually did it and yeah. the first few years I definitely was like I love tiny houses and there was a lot of appeal in that and mm-hmm. you know I love the vintage character of like old airstreams and avions and hadn't like quite decided but ultimately it was the ability of like okay if I want to just move it myself how easy would that be and even some of the bridges, even with the trailer, which isn't that high, it's not that much taller than the truck. Yeah. But I, yeah, just the anxiety of like going under bridges and will I hit things? And um, now I'm like, okay, maybe I could do a tiny house, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess baby steps. Cause yeah, it is, it is really um, its own experience moving the thing. <laughs> yeah. I'll bet. I mean, I've, yeah. I've had my tiny house for, for 10 years now and I've, I towed it once, but I tend to hire somebody to tow it because it's 10,000 pounds. Um, and I just appreciate because I don't own the truck, I can just spend the money on hiring a professional with insurance and the right equipment and the, the skills and all that. So totally the peace of yeah. mind is like, yeah, yeah I've yeah. definitely, I think, uh, living this life, you learn like there is a price for peace of mind and it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so I would imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like 
in the corporate world in your you know your your past life as a kind of corporate interior designer sustainability was probably not forefront it's probably like all new materials always um how how do you incorporate sustainability in your in your practice now yeah a lot of times well it depends on kind of my involvement in the project. A lot of times I'm doing more uh, remote work and consulting or putting design plans together for people to implement. So a lot of times it's trying to find resources for them wherever they may be. Yeah. Habitat, you know, I, I always say like, if you can start early enough and especially, you know, when you're starting from from scratch or you're just starting out, you can also kind of, we can modify the design if you find a really cool sink or, you know, something like that, that maybe isn't a standard size. We can modify the design to work, work with that kind of thing. Yeah. There are some sites, you know, I'd say the hard thing, um, for tiny houses that I find, to, to find things to reuse, they often involve some kind of tweaking um, mm-hmm. just because there is usually some multifunctional elements to a lot of the pieces. Like, uh, whereas in, yeah, you know, shopping vintage or um, thrift stores, uh, that kind of thing is one of my favorite ways to shop. But I did find it's, it's easier for homes that have more traditional space you know, it's hard to find a sofa that has the right, you know, I would almost yeah. always advise in a space like this, especially one that has curves, which is a whole other oh, yeah. um, <laughs> thing <laughs> to deal with when it's not all right angles. I designed the sofa, you know, to have storage underneath and have it pull out. So I think in some ways it's harder in these spaces, but certainly materials, uh, saving wood pallets, um, finding pieces that can be broken down um, and reused or refinished for flooring or for even, you know, the cabinets. I painted a lot of the wood that I used in here. Mm-hmm. And we did, my friend who's who kindly let me park my trailer here while I did the project um, builds guitars. So he had a lot of wood pieces that if he wasn't using them, I would just <laughs> uh, add them to my pile for for cabinet frames and yeah. So I, usually it's finding local places specific to the type of project and where they're at. To you know, my advice is always just start collecting those pieces early because again, once you've already built out things, then you're kind of trapped within some kind of yeah. parameters. Whereas if we know the sink's going to be a little larger than we originally anticipated, we can add those few inches uh, maybe and yeah, and use that. So, yeah. What's, what's the meaning behind uh, your business name? Yeah, so I kind of combined two words. Both are going to sound exactly the same, but Sukha, <laughs> S-U-K-H-A, is a Sanskrit word. And I don't believe that English has a translation because the translation would be happiness, Mm -hmm. but it's a very specific, like long lasting deep state as opposed to like, I feel happy this afternoon. It's, it's Mm -hmm. more like a, um, a long-term comfort of bliss. And then I combine that with 
you'll probably recognize Suka <laughs> being a tribe member. Um, and that's S-U-K-K-A-H, which is a hut-like structure that is involved in the Jewish holiday of Sukkot, which growing up, I didn't really, I thought it was really cool that there was this like cool thing with leaves on the roof and, you know, and all of that. But as I've gotten older, I actually think this holiday of all of them, I connect to the most. And uh, it represents the fragility of our existence. And Sukkot is like a celebration uh, or a time to appreciate our physical homes and our bodies. Yeah. So I kind of combined the spelling of those two words because I love them both into my spelling, which is S-U-K-K-H-A. <laughs> and um, that's how I, I kind of came about the name. Awesome. I love it. It's a good, it's a good backstory. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just, um, you know, when I was thinking about values for how I design and also for what I wanted my business to be when I um, started it, mm-hmm. those words felt very like aligned. And so I just kind of rolled with it. <laughs> what are some ways, you know, speaking of your business and, and for anyone listening, what are, what are some ways that people can work with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do a lot of work remotely with people. Okay. All of my projects, I start with something I call a design project jumpstart, which okay. is basically, I realized what I, the first steps of any project anyway. And so I started just doing it this way so that folks who felt good about kind of implementing on their own or didn't have, you know, the resources to hire someone to be involved throughout the whole process could still have a really organized, professional start to the project. The biggest mistake I see in any size home is like people just going into things without a real plan and without really having thought through. Yeah. The game plan. And so I don't think I, I try, I don't think people are aware of how much money <laughs> you can blow doing it that way. Um, <laughs> but um, I think having that, that start is again, whether, you know, you're, you're someone who's going to do it on your own or uh, doing things over time. It's a really nice kind of organizational start to understand what your needs actually are. Yeah. And kind of the the next steps to implement them. And then from there, I do travel and do full service projects, which is always a joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of that, that call is kind of when we can discuss next steps. But I also definitely, after gathering kind of the information about the project, setting up yeah. kind of the next steps for folks. It gives me a good understanding of like how much assistance they might actually need. And yeah, and then I can kind of offer them services that make sense for their specific project timeline and and all of that. Nice. Yeah. And um, I wrote down um, that you have a desk refresh guide. I do. Yes. I think I sent you the link and I'm um, really excited about it, especially People are, you know, getting into the new year's like cleanse. I'm going to yeah. like do a diet and all that. And I'm like, do a purge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> refresh your space. Um, so the desk refresh, I think I wanted to have something just to kind of get people 
started. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, especially if you don't already live in a tiny house, and even if you do like get really overwhelmed pretty quickly at the stuff or just what they're doing or, oh, it will never look like that. I'd give up. Yeah. So the desk felt like a good manageable space that a lot of people use. And I use the exact same process that I break down in the desk refresh to like a closet or anywhere else. So my hope is that people can, you know, take off a little bite-sized chew of what it feels like to have a a well-designed space and be able to kind of carry that out in other spaces. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, you know, links to that and, and photos of of your home and links to your business will all be on the show notes episode for this page, um, which will be Wonderful. episode two forty four. So the tinyhouse.net slash two four four will get will get people all the goods. Awesome. Well this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show. Well actually I have one last question. One thing yeah. that I like to ask all my guests is um just what are two or three resources that have inspired you that you'd like to share? And these could be about tiny homes, about interior design, about really anything. Yeah. Um, let me grab, I just got this book, The Modern Caravan. Oh, yes. Are you familiar with them? I am. So they I actually, s- I had them on? on the show. Yeah. Ah, I'm going to have to dig out that episode. <laughs> um, yeah, they're fantastic. And they're yeah. um, so for those who don't know, they're, um, they started out renovating Airstreams with clients and now mm-hmm. they have a business just yeah flipping airstreams and reselling them i believe yeah and i also i found that really interesting about that transition that's something i've struggled with with <laughs> client work can be taxing yeah yeah so i loved learning about that which they talk about in the book but their aesthetic is just so beautiful that I think was one of the first accounts I saw with a renovated Airstream and was just like, oh my God, I want that. Like, I want to live there. Yeah. Yeah. And they still have an Instagram account, um, I believe, at the Modern Caravan. If anyone's yep. interested, their work is just stunning. Let's see what else. Podcasts like this. I'm I'm a big podcaster. Awesome. So, Yeah. Are there any other tiny house related podcasts that you listen yeah, to? Yeah. Um, Divine on the Road okay. is an Instagram account. She's a van life girl. Okay. But I, as a fellow, um, she just got engaged, but she was a single gal living the van life. Um, I was really connected to her podcast. Nice. Yeah. And then followed her on Instagram. And yeah, she's her name's Sydney and she's just like very real talk. <laughs> we'll show you the not um you know, I think Instagram does a really good job. I'm guilty of it too of like glamorizing and everything's clean and tidy. Yep. Yeah. But that's just not like the everyday. She'll she'll show a lot of like look at my van right now and it's a disaster. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate her uh her realness on on awesome. that um, platform. Awesome. So yeah, she's really inspiring as well. Awesome. Well, um, you can check out my interview with Kate Oliver from the Modern Caravan. That's episode 212. Yes. So the tiny house. Okay, I'm going to go back and listen to it yeah. now. It's, it's a good one. Awesome. But, um, Sarah Bronstein, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. This was really fun. Thank you. This was great. Thanks again for having me.
Thank you so much to Sarah Bronstein for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including a complete transcript and photos of Sarah's really awesome tiny house over at thetinyhouse.net slash 244. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 244. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that follow button if you're not already following us and share this episode with someone you think will benefit from it. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.